This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 381 for Thursday, November 5th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Megan Townsend is back. You can find her at Townsend on all the social media that matters and twitch.tv slash Townsend, where I see that yet more Spiritfarer is being played. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? Ferrying a lot of spirits lately. Yes, so I'm curious because it's been a solid month since the last time we talked, I think, uh, about Spirit Fair. How, like, how is that progressing? Like, is it, because it's, that's a long time to be playing that game. Like, it's pretty chill, but like, is there still a lot of content to get through? Yeah, it's, um, so I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out. A lot of it is, um, it's, it's meant to be a very chill game, so it's a very long form, chill management sim. So there is a lot of story to get through and a lot of character. Like I just found a new character, um, probably like a, f- a few days ago. A new, a new pair of characters, but they're you know they're marketed as like the same. Mar- I should say marketed. They're 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 animated as like the same entity but so it's like a like two brothers and one of them is like a little tiny hummingbird and like and then a big boar like a bison of some kind um but they're brothers an odd pair yeah but it's the hummingbird that like lifts the bison and carries him around so it's (laughs) it's it's really it's really cute there is some like really fun animation but like it's it's bruce and mickey and bruce is the one who does all the talking and mickey doesn't talk at all so he's like the big the strong silent type and then bruce is kind of like the um, you know, the, the, the little, you know, I'm, I'm going to fight you sort of, sort of personality. So he's, right. he's the one who does all the talking. He's like, no, no, you don't look at the big guy. You look at me. Like this is like, he kind of has like this sort of like New York, Jersey, Brooklyn kind of accent. Um, at the, that's the accent that I've been giving him just like the way, like his, the way his dialogue is written. It's all like, um, it's just, there's no, and like, uh, voice acting it's just right speech you know some grunts and, and sounds here and there and speech balloons so like i've been giving some voices to the characters so bruce and mickey are just like hey i'm walking here kind of like mm. kind of voices so it's been kind of a fun exercise in doing some character voices there's one guy named larry i found who's like he's got a very transatlantic accent see like you know just because he was talking about you know the picture the big picture we got to find an actress for the big picture right um so um you know, it's just it's been fun doing voices. It kind of became like you know, let's do some fun voices with Megan on stream while we play Spirit Fair. So it's 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 been a good time. But it's it's um it's very chill. It's very relaxed. It hasn't got me in the feels just yet. I again like the first time because you eventually you have to say goodbye to some of the characters and um uh, the first one actually had me crying on stream because <laughs> wow. um, it's it's apparently it's a character that you don't spend a lot of time with her but like just through dialogue you find out that she was your best friend in life um and you know like she, she was your childhood best friend you would spend you know summers together and like at her family's house so one of the places you go visit is her parents place and she's got some weird you know baggage about her family there there are some story things that aren't um 
really clarified, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like, you know, there, there's still a lot of holes in the story. You can kind of fill in the, the gaps yourself, I guess, if you if you think about it. But like, you know, that, you know, Gwen, you know, her 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 mom, she didn't really get along with her mom and like her dad was sick and, you know, she had she's she's had some kind of like, you know, family family baggage that she's still trying to work through. And you don't know exactly what happened, but it was enough for her to be like, you know, clearly hurt and like she has she kind of has to talk to you about it a little bit. Um, but um, right now, the one I think the one that's going to hurt me again the most is um, is your uncle. There's a, a his name is Atul, but he's he's your uncle apparently in the story. So when he when he sees you, he's like, oh my god, it's my niece, and he gets really excited and he's a pretty jovial like happy guy. But um, now like we're getting deeper into his story, and it seems like he's got a history of really severe depression and it's really sad and you don't know how he died and it's like you're trying to figure out how he died and it's like oh no this is all kind of it's it's framed in a very like cozy easy to swallow pill right um but when you like really think about it and it's deeper levels it's like it's like oh this 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 can be pretty emotional so i think when it comes time for because he has little side missions like one of the first side missions for him was to um um get him some pork chops because he just had a craving for pork chops i remember and now saying, his latest yeah. one yeah now his latest one was uh, fried chicken and fried chicken reminded him of his dad and he kind of told you about like how his when his, he didn't didn't like watching his dad cook because his dad seemed really angry while he was cooking but he made food really delicious but it was it was it kind of it was a bittersweet feeling because it was delicious food but his dad was just mad about it after like making it for some reason mm. um so you're you're learning a lot about these characters and like and you know their their history but not not everything at the same time like there's there's still enough open-ended stuff that you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself so it's not like bombarding you with background and history but it still keeps them interesting and engaging um and you know giving the characters hugs is always very cozy there's one there's one new character that we found named Giovanni and he's the husband of another passenger on your boat Astrid and your first couple missions for Astrid is like you're hunting down her husband, and she's like, you know, I'm gonna leave him. I I don't care anymore. He's he's a you know a, a two timing you know jerk when really he's just you know he's just he's Italian. He's just, <laughs> he's he's just he's like I he's passionate and he's you know uh, loves fine food and he just loves to you know meet people and make friends and he's charming so everyone just falls in love with him because he's a very charming guy. Um, and every time, like, when he's in a good mood, like, when certain characters are in a good mood, they do things for you. Um, so Giovanni gives you jewels. He's just like, no, no, don't worry about how it happened. It's, it's a gift. Just take it. Take the <laughs> gifts. Some beautiful jewels for you. Just go. Have the gift. And then you can sell them for more money, which is good, you know, for updating things. And it's So everyone is very, like, all the characters are very rich. They all have a lot of, like, detail to them, even even if it's in subtle ways. And some of them have bigger personalities than others. And it's, you know, it's it's great. I, I'm really enjoying it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying taking my time on it. Um, and only once have I felt the need to look up a, like, a tutorial or, like, you know, how do, how do I do this? Because I was kind of getting stuck because I needed a particular resource to build something to further the story along. But every every time I found the resource, I didn't have a particular skill I needed to get the resource um, until I looked it up. And it's like, oh, you can find this resource here at this one place that just needs you to to double jump up onto a, a, a building. And it's like, oh, I can do that. Great. So but it was it was one of those tricky things that because um, it doesn't hold your hand. 
really. Like, it tells you exactly what you need to do, but there's still, like, kind of like a, a puzzle platformer vibe about it, too. Right. So, um, but I, I, I'm really liking it because there's no, there's no consequences. If you don't do something, it just means you, you can't continue on. So when you figure out a way to do it, there you go. There's no time limit. There's no, um, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no consequence to like leaving something in the oven too long. There's no consequence for not watering your plants in time. They don't shrivel up and die. They just need water. And then when you water them, they keep growing. Um, so it's nice that like there's, there's no punishment for not doing something in a particular amount of time. So it's, it's, it's good to take your time on it, which I, which I really enjoy. And it's just, it's a nice game to play when you, you still want to play a game. You still want to have a story. You still want to like, you know, do some platforming a little bit. Cause I, I like platformer games personally. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not going to penalize you for not completing something in a timely manner, which I appreciate. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I find Borderlands three has been the same. Um, you get yeah. penalized financially. Your bank account is charged for reconstitution fees when you die and have to be re-rezzed into the world. But yeah. you, you don't lose your guns. You're not set back to the beginning. Like if you're fighting a boss, you spawn right outside. You know, like it's not like you have to fight the level over again. You're not penalized by time, either in game or like real lifetime. Like so, none mm. of that matters. And and in because of the the way that Borderlands levels work, at any point there's like a a pause in the gun battle where you have to proceed to the next area before the more enemies are going to show up. So if you want to just stop there or take a breather or go to a side mission, like you can do that. And even though the story says we have to rush to disable the laser, there really is no real life rush. If you wanted to stay mm -hmm. in character and, and stay with the story, you could plow through. But if like you got to go pee, you could just go pee. <laughs> like it's not, Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It, it has that kind of like, intense momentarily but then casual kind of like approach to it and i'm glad to hear that you're getting so much out of spirit fairer because i i really there's a certain part of me that's kind of old school when it comes to video games because of like how much you either spend on them or spend on the things that run them uh i'm still having some issues with my gaming computer which i've spent probably a thousand dollars or more on now over the last Oof. year i mean not all at once and 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 most of it thanks to the amazing support of of um, people that that sponsor my stream so like yeah, not not Twitch companies but man they yeah they uh, we love you yeah we love like you so much. i mean i mean basically just amazing fans and people that want to see more streams um with yeah. anything from subscriptions to donations i just kind of put that away and then when it comes time to buy a new processor i have a good chunk of that already saved away because of the community mm -hmm. and so that's really helpful and, and allows hopefully knock on wood for better content for them so it's like a kind of like a win-win yeah um, but uh, when you are doing that kind of thing and putting that kind of expense into things, you want the games that you play that you pick up for streaming to last. Like I don't want to drop $60 in a game and have it be over in 12 hours and have there no long, be not a lot of um, content to it. Cause a lot of times I approach streaming with video games like, well, it's content creation. One of the reasons why I spend so much time streaming Minecraft uh, is because it's endless. Like there, you are the content. Yeah. Your imagination is the yeah. only cap, right? And other games like Satisfactory or No Man's Sky, they're all very sandboxy. And while Spiritfarer mm -hmm. has an obvious story to it because of the depth of it and because of how casual it is, there's a lot of depth there. You know, like, and, yeah. and, and if there's ever any kind of like sequel or expansion to it, then it just, just seems like people could come back to it. Um, mm -hmm. feels like there's there's a similar depth to things like Stardew Valley 
even though I've not played it myself, I own it, but I've seen people play it. And even though they know the NPC characters, they don't really change. Each Stardew Valley, Stardew Valley playthrough has like a different feel to it, depending on where you start, how you approach it. And so yeah. there's some replayability there. And I find those kind of games way more appealing just from a weird time economic standpoint of like, if I'm going to invest in a game, not just the 20 or 30 bucks, because a lot of stuff I buy is indie stuff. But if, I, if I'm going to invest in that kind of game, it's nice to know that I will be playing it for quite some time. I can return to it and, and come back to it. And so like there's, right. been a, there's been an update in the experimental version on Satisfactory. And I haven't gone back to it because it's not in the early access. It's only in the unstable like experimental build. And so mm-hmm. I've got quite a lot of time invested, probably 500 hours when you all total it up, which is scary to think about um, uh, in my main playthrough on Satisfactory. So I'm waiting for it to hit early access so that I can update pipes and do new things. Because someone popped into my stream the other day and they said, like, hey, how come you don't play Satisfactory anymore? Like, how come I don't see those streams? And they were worried that I was I had no longer lost interest in the game. I was like, oh, no, I'm still very interested in the game. I just know from development news that there's an update coming and I don't like doing things twice. So why would right. I build my giant fuel factory with current tech in the game when I know that pipes are being upgraded in, in the next little while? Like, I'll just wait. Right. I'll go play something else. And, right. and it's nice to have a breadth of those games that you can just kind of pick up, put down, and return to. Things like Spiritfarer, things like No Man's Sky. I find that No Man's Sky has become a little bit repetitive as per usual. But, but you know, Minecraft is always something I can, can go back to and fill in some stream content and, and have some fun while I'm waiting for a change of pace. And, you know, Borderlands 3, I took the opportunity when, uh, when Satisfactory was something I wasn't going to play for a bit. Borderlands 3 rose up to be my number two game because it's very different than Minecraft. It's very different pacing wise. It's an adult game. It's not kid friendly at all. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just it's kind of like a nice shift for me. Um, but yeah, so what? So I know that I know that whenever I see you streaming, uh, you've been streaming Spirit Fair. Like, are there other things that are on your list or or things that you have been streaming? Well, now that I have a a new PC, oh, well, nice. not a new PC. I have I have a new PC case. Um, so it's got, I actually, I, I, it was, came with the suggestion of a friend and he was like, oh, don't worry, we'll go change the LEDs. I'm like, I kind of like the LEDs. So I have four fans in there and they have an RGB LED cycle. Um, and it just goes to the rainbow and apparently it's called unicorn vomit, which delights me to no end. I'm super into it. Um, and it just cycles and he was just like, we can change that for you. I'm just like, no, I'm happy to keep it. I mean, the only thing I like, if we had to change it, I might change it to my brand colors, which are kind of like pink, purple, blue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might just like change it to the, the brand colors and have it cycle through those. Um, but I kind of, I kind of like the rainbow. <laughs> I really, it's the unicorn vomit. I like it. It's, that's kind of what it looks like. But um, I now have a, a spot to put um, USB 3.0 ports, which is what is the re- the requirement for my Elgato uh, HD60S capture card. Um, so, which is again a very generous uh, community goal. Um, so we were able to get the capture card, and I, I people have been like, "Capture card? We're we gonna play any Switch games at some point soon?" And it's like, "Yep, as soon as I update the computer." So I just I just did that because um, people have been waiting. So now we can play things like Animal Crossing. Uh, nice. We've been playing. Um, Crash Bandicoot. So um, I played Crash Bandicoot on a PlayStation and I, I never played the first one. I never played Crash 1 or Crash 2. So it's like, I don't even know what they're called. Crash Bandicoot. The second one is called something. Anyway, I always jumped into Warped. Warped was kind of my first experience with Crash. So it's the one I'm the most familiar with. 
So I immediately jumped into that one and I've been having a great time because it feels really nostalgic, but it's also kind of gotten a little bit of a facelift. However, the controls that I have right now, because you're using the Switch controllers, there's not enough like pull on the Joy-Cons. So when I'm doing driving, like there's like a couple levels that I hate I've, and I hated them as a kid too, but there's a couple levels where you have to, you're basically on a bike and, and the goal is to get first place to get like the crystal that you need. Um, the Joy-Cons don't have enough movement to just move it slightly. It's like when you move a little bit to the left, you're, it's cranked all the way to the left. So your character is just like, well, I'm going to drive off the road, you know? So it's it's been a, a bit of finessing. And there was one stream where I managed to get to the first place. I was like, I've lost. And then I, I somehow got first and I was like, ah, I don't know how that happened, but it was really exciting. So it's been nice. It, it makes, it frustrates me, but it's fun because it reminds me of playing these games when I was a kid. And it's been nice because my brother's been popping into my stream sometime um, to, to come watch. And he was like, oh, this is nostalgic. This is great. And he's like, you, you know, I, I, it's, I think, and part of it is also kind of swallowing a piece of humble pie because I'm like, I was so great at this when I was a kid. I'm going to be like, no problem. There's gonna be no issues. I've died so many times and it's been, uh, yeah, it's, I'm not as good at gaming as I once was, um, when I was a child, but, um, it's, it's been nice to kind of go back and, and revisit the game. And I might go back at some point and visit, visit crash one and crash two. Because I don't really know much of the story. My one thing is, though, I'm not sure if this is a capture card issue or a Switch thing. But all of the, the character dialogue in the game, particularly around the villains or, like, any cutscenes, there's no dialogue. You can't hear their voices. And I don't know why. And I've yet to figure it out. And I hmm. don't know if this is just a factor of the game, if it's just a setting. I don't think so. But there's like opening cutscenes where you can hear the background music and you can hear sound effects and you can hear noises, but the dialogue is just not there. I've had stuff like that happen uh, before where I'm watching something on a streaming service where closed captioning is, is coming up for some things, but not everything. Right. And you're just like, well, wait a minute. Like, I, I get if it's fine. Like, if there's some nondescript police officer in France speaking in French and it's not really important. And from the from the gesture, you're getting the whole, like, license and registration, please. Or, like, you know, like I don't need mm -hmm. a full translation. But then in the next scene, it, you're talking about, like, two scientists that are having a conversation at length. And it's like, I should really kind of know what this, like... I should yeah, know what's this being sounds said. important. And then you go to turn on the closed captioning because like obviously the subtitles aren't working. And then the closed captioning just says speaking French. And it's like, well, that I don't. Wait. So I don't know what's going on. And I find that happens a lot uh, with with streaming media, uh, particularly on one specific service. But like there, it's it's one it's one of the things that I've, I've been battling with. I haven't had any. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, actually, my last boss fight on um, Borderlands one of the characters that's key to that part of the story is talking to you about the vault. This is the big boss battle at the vault and she's introducing the vault. And there's another bit of dialogue that activates when you get close enough to her. And so I, at this point okay. in the game, know what I'm doing. So as she's talking to me over the radio, uh, I'm getting closer to the center of the room and 
then she switches from radio to being talking in person. It's one of the coolest thing that the game does is that when the NPC is talking and you go too far away, they come in over comms. And then when you get mm -hmm. close enough, it I stops over comms and it starts to be like an in-person conversation. But when I got close enough to her, she stopped the history lesson on the vault and said, oh, to open the door, just put your key in that thing right there. And I was like, what? Why? I appreciate that me being close enough to you triggered the next step. Why is, in the coding does it not say finish the sentence before... <laughs> before yeah like she was I hate, she was like that's, mid, that's always been an issue with dialogue. a lot of games Ugh. yeah that's that's i, I noticed rough. that with with mass effect when we were going through some mass effect stuff if you like trigger something it's like well there goes all this historical dialogue yeah every time you know and i i think i feel like i hope that now i know that some people don't like that um when it comes to replaying the game it's like oh, i'd already know this yeah so there i wish there was an option to skip if need be um mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i don't know yeah that's especially if you're interested in the lore of the world and you want to um you know learn what's you know what's going on in the world like having that skipped over can be really frustrating yeah, no, really, I, really irritating. I agree, and if I'm in for a chill kind of experience and I want to know that kind of stuff, then then I I, I don't like it when it's skipped. I, I prefer to have the option yeah. to. Would you like you know to ask? Because he's like, ask this person about their history, or just get the goods and move on. And so like you have the choice right. to, to to trigger either one. I can appreciate right. that at some level it does kind of like take you out of the immersion when you have to press A or B to continue. You know. Uh, rather than mm -hmm. just a conversation flowing naturally. But I just think that if it's something important, like a story beat, that, that they should be, that the dialogue should finish before the next trigger is then activated and stuff like that. So, um, Right. But uh, speaking of gaming, actually, I, I actually uh, have some news. Uh, after my conversation with Ryan last week on the show, when we talked about the Xbox Series X, uh, as well as PlayStation 5, we didn't get a chance to touch on the Quest 2 and the VR offerings. Um generally i don't necessarily know if they're there the jury is still out on on the quest 2 in terms of like what it offers for pricing versus um all the accessories that you need to make it viable um but i'm still researching that but i have made the decision that uh because of the xbox uh all access plan uh i'm going to be picking up an xbox series x next week yeah, and it's the first time. That's I've, exciting. Yeah, it's the first time I've had a console since 360. So it's been. That means we can play some years. games together. Yeah, yeah. So it well, should be really fun. If, as long as they're cross-platform. Yeah, I well, and I think a lot of them would be like not well, not a lot of them would be, but like the ones that I'd be interested in. For example, Minecraft Dungeons cross-platform. Yeah. Uh, that cross-platform for that's coming in December. So like that kind of stuff is going to be is going to be fun. Um, I'm just interested in in having not just a gaming experience that is um, not tied to streaming because I do enjoy gaming to relax. But right now, a lot of what I'm doing for gaming because of the money I invested in the streaming computer, I do tend to stream when I'm gaming or not game at all. And so having yeah. a couch experience with some games that like, I don't necessarily think that playing Assassin's Creed is something that I would want to stream because that for me is an immersive experience and I don't want to have to stop and read a chat room, you know, when I'm playing Assassin's right. Creed. Um, right. so, and I can see myself being very quiet during that, that thing. Cause like, you're also kind of sneaking around 
And it would be really odd, like as you're sneaking up on bad guys, to be just like, "So, how's everybody's Tuesday going?" <laughs> it just it feels like an odd thing. Yeah, um, I think I think with games like that, though, people kind of expect it to. It's like if you're, true. if you're focused it's on true. something, it's just like, all right, you know, they're they're just you know invested. Um, well, and so here, I, I don't think that'd be a problem. And herein lies the beauty but. in that um, I have to make sure that it works with a game like Assassin's Creed, but like with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which is part of the all access purchase, which is for those of you that didn't listen last week, it's forty dollars a month for two years. You get your Xbox Series X, and you get access to Xbox Game xbox game pass ultimate for two years uh you're tied into that but it's cheaper in the long run uh than doing them separately like mm. but like um i mean unless you only wanted xbox game pass for like a couple of months but like i am not so heavy a gamer that i see myself investing 70 dollars in, in titles every time i want to play a new game paying something right. like 16 to 17 dollars a month for access to hundreds of games <laughs> some of which i might try yeah. and not like some of which i might try and love um, that to me is 100% worth it. I'm definitely in for all the games as a service, especially because Xbox Game Pass Ultimate crosses over to PC. So the same $16.99 gets me access to some Xbox titles, it gets me access to some PC titles, and it gets me access to things that are on both. And people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's also cross saves. So if I, I play for a little bit on the Xbox and I save it and I want to continue on the PC and stream it, I can do that, uh, which is... Just a no-brainer business decision for me because it means that I don't have to fork over the $600 Canadian plus tax up front for an Xbox Series X. It means for $40, just like when you sign up for a new phone contract, you get the new thing. Uh, right. So the fact that after doing some research, it is actually cheaper and that if I was to buy an Xbox at 600 bucks, I would be getting the Game Pass anyway and keeping that for at least a year, if not longer. And I've been holding off on grabbing Xbox Game Pass because I knew that the new consoles are coming. Because I would have done it for my PC a while ago. Um, but mm -hmm. now, along with the Xbox comes controllers that I can then also use in the PC. So I don't need to use a capture card. I just play the game on the PC with the controller and just stream it there if I want to. Like So there's just a lot of things that make sense about it. And in the process of not having to fork over 600 bucks for the Series X... Uh, that means that I can upgrade my television, which is what I'm planning on doing. And uh, right now, after doing quite a bit of research, uh, I believe I have settled on the TCL 55-inch 6 Series 4K TV. Uh, and that's at tcl.com for people that are interested. Now, they sell, you know, you'll have to find a local retailer. Uh, they usually retail, right now, it's between $850 and $900 Canadian. Um, because a lot of uh, what turned me on to TCL was a lot of very low prices, I thought, for 4K TVs. But of course, then I realized that the podcasters were talking in Ameri American dollars. And so once I have to, you know, convert that by 27 to 30 percent to get it in Canadian, uh, it's still still a 4K TV. It's a QOLED uh, for under a thousand dollars is pretty sweet for 55 and 55 is kind of like your standard these days. There's not a whole lot mm -hmm. that's smaller than that. There are other models of the TCL that you'll see for 400 bucks at like Costco and Walmart, but they're either the four series or the five series. And for the same amount of money or even less money, I can get like a 65 inch TV, but you've been to my place. I don't know that I yeah. need a 65 inch TV when I only sit seven feet from it. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be like a cat with a laser on the wall when I'm playing video games. <laughs> Like, I don't want to have to yes. turn my head. Yeah, I don't want to have to look. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get yeah, dizzy. Yeah, no, I feel you. You know? So I think 65 inches is going to be 
too much for my space. Uh, and all of the cheaper four and five series are native 60 hertz panels. They squeak out to 120 hertz when you add like motion smoothing. I hate motion smoothing. I have no desire to use it whatsoever. Uh, and a friend of mine, John, has, I think, the four series and uh, he can turn motion smoothing off. Uh, I figured if I'm buying a new TV in 2020, uh, I'm probably going to go for the one that is natively 120 hertz on the panel, which is gonna be better for gaming, which is the main purpose. Uh, and one of the reasons that TCLs are so affordable is that they're not OLED, they're like mini LED QLED, which is like in between LED and OLED. And so uh, it just basically means it's a really nice panel for something that's affordable. Uh, and it's got four uh, HDMI ports, which is lots for me. And, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to solve a lot of things. It's also a Roku television. So uh, I'll be switching my set-top box provider, which is great. It means one less thing because I don't have to have something else plugged in to, um, to the TV. And, and uh, plus the Xbox these days will, of course, have a Netflix app and, you know, other streaming services. So depending on how I like the Xbox Series X interface, I may not need the Roku part of the TV. I might just use the Xbox for all of my right. media needs, right? Yeah, that's what Colin does because he just has like all of his streaming services on his Xbox. So I am holding off on that until I can sort out what the Black Friday deals are going to be. Uh, at present, Best Buy has it listed as part of their Black Friday offering at $10 off, which is, I, I don't care. Like, that's not really a sale um, mm -hmm. when it's a, a $900 TV on for like $889. It's like, I, that's not, I mean, I technically sure it's on sale, but like, whatever. Uh, so I'm waiting to see if there's going to be better deals at other retailers uh, later on in the month because um, I don't need it right this minute. Um, but, uh, with November 10th being the day that I can order the Xbox, hopefully that won't take weeks and weeks to get to me. Um, but, uh, I would like to have the TV for around the same time that I have the Xbox. Cause I would like to not have to play the Xbox on a small crappy TV for a couple of weeks before, <laughs> before right. moving to the yeah. big one. I'd like to kind of calibrate, right. calibrate and do all that once, like tear the television unit apart once and put it together once. And then I should be fine. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I did some measuring and um, turns out that the stand that I have now is just wide enough <laughs> to have a 55 inch TV on it, uh, which is going to be great. So I'm looking forward to that because it's been years since I've updated a TV. Plus watching things like uh, I mentioned, I'll talk about this later, but watching shows like Star Trek or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or anything like that, they're just they're bigger on a, a better on a nice TV. Um, so yeah. I'm investing in a panel. I could save a couple hundred bucks and get like last year's model, but I just, I investing in a television that you're hoping is going to last the better part of eight to 10 years. Like I'd rather spend the extra $200 on a better panel and just get more technology out sense. of it um, rather than trying to get a bigger screen size. So um, I have, that makes sense. I'm still on the, like, I still have a little bit of, a little bit of me is like, Meh, are you going to regret not getting a 65, but like a 65 in the new panel that gets up into the $1,200 range. And that's out of my budget. Like that's not, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I'm no longer willing to spend that on a TV when I know that I can get one almost as good for much, much less. And so it's a part of it is like the, just the consumer electronics knowledge that I have is like, Nope, I don't, I don't need to go down that road. <laughs> Um, nope. No, but one of the things that I'm looking forward to watching or perhaps rewatching on a 4K TV is going to be um, some of the documentaries on Netflix 
like our planet or planet earth Mm -hmm. or some of those bbc things where like they were filmed and shot in these beautiful cameras and i just didn't really get to experience them the best way that i could and so uh, even if it's a matter of getting like a, a, a high def Blu-ray or something like that, um, because you can use the Xbox for that. Um, I just I'm looking forward to experiencing some of that kind of content. Um, I'm not going to run out and buy like an, a 4K version of Lord of the Rings or whatever. That's fine. I have one. I'm sure it upres is fine. I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like so stuff like that, it's going to be a really cool experience. But speaking of documentaries, that's one of the things that I watched uh, over the last week. Uh, I watched Brave Blue World racing to solve our water crisis on netflix uh it's a documentary Mm. yeah it's about well as it says on the tin it's about the current problem in the world with water uh the trailer which we'll have linked in the show notes is a little dramatic they kind of took all the edgy quotes from the people that are speaking and kind of put it into the trailer and i want to give people a, a heads up it is not all doom and gloom uh, similar to the last um, David Attenborough, um, sorry, Richard Attenborough, da- David Attenborough um, documentary that I watched about his life. Again, it wasn't all doom and gloom. He was poignant about saying like, this is it. We have to start working towards better things now. But he was also very hopeful at the end of it. Uh, and with Brave Blue World, it's not all doom and gloom. Like uh, in the last week, I can't say I was really in the mood to watch anything that was about like major climate change catastrophes and all this kind of stuff. You know, like you just kind of have to measure the amount of bad news that you get. Uh, And I was pleasantly surprised that this documentary was mostly about the cool technology and the efforts uh, to solve the global water crisis on how uh, and how different countries organizations and communities and engineers are addressing the problem not Mm -hmm. not about governments ignoring it not about like the problems it was like you know here are several solutions that are in process and enough information for people to then go and kind of like research and see what they might be able to do Um, unfortunately if it's not just like donating to a cause or uh, great financial investment uh, uh, as a homeowner or if you're in an apartment like we are there's not a heck of a lot you can do other than just conserve water right like you're not in charge of the plumbing system for the building so there's not a lot that you can implement but in some of the research that I did after the, the documentary uh, a couple of organizations kind of ro- rose to the top in terms of what I remembered from the documentary but also very easy to find websites and easy to find information uh, water.org uh, founded by Gary White and Matt Damon. Uh, 501C3, founded by Drew Fitzgerald and Jaden Smith. Uh, yes, that Jaden Smith, by the way, that's Will Smith's son. Uh, and Hydroloop. Okay. Um, I don't remember the founders of Hydroloop, but it's a Netherlands company, and they do residential gray water. But essentially, the the documentary was made like in partnership, I think, with a lot of these organizations. Uh, the documentary was directed by Tim Neves and E-E-V-E-S, uh, narrated by Liam Neeson. There's also um, Matt Damon, Jaden Smith, and a couple of other people show up as well, uh, including the founders of some of these other organizations that I'm not... There's more than three. There's like six or eight different stories in the whole documentary, uh, ranging from an apartment complex in India uh, that took it upon themselves to 
install like water recycling systems in their in their units so that they are no longer dependent on municipal water as much as they used to be um and then some of the other stories i don't remember the guy's company but he was basically creating and i should have looked this up because this is also a really cool story the, well the documentary is worth a watch so i'm 100 re recommending it for anybody that's that's listening to this but also if you're a nerd because there are some cool things that they're doing this guy in Africa uses like a charcoal toilet. So it's like an outhouse situation where you're, you don't actually flush the toilet. You don't get to remove the human waste from it quickly, but it's collected by similar to how garbage men come around. Your, your charcoal, your charcoal toilet is essentially emptied by this company and then they take it, they treat it and they turn it into a coal alternative. Oh, so you can. Oh, that's so you, cool. So you can burn poop to to fuel things, uh, and it's and it's. Uh, I can't imagine it's a good smell, <laughs> but well, I mean, the, no. the the end product is probably fine. Otherwise, it wouldn't be marketable. But I, the process thereof, like that plant where they turn human waste into charcoal, probably not the best smell in the world. Still, the fact that like they're using this system to self-sustain to uh, provide energy to reduce the amount of wastewater fl flowing through very tight you know um, slum situations in I think it was Kenya or I can't remember where it was in Africa somewhere um, but it was just really really cool stories um, then there's also like the 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 more traditional side of things where you've got like water.org uh, which is a global nonprofit working to bring water and sanitation to the world and this is where they throw out some stats that you're like, wait, wait, what? How many people? So globally, mm. one in nine people lack access to clean water. It's something like 758 million people don't have access to clean water. Wow. One in three lack access to a toilet. So depending on how many roommates you have, one of you not allowed to use the bathroom, <laughs> right? Like that just to kind of take that home. Um, and what they do with what, what water.org does is they go the financial route they partner with local organizations and they increase the access to small loans uh and smart solutions that people that are living in these very poor communities don't normally have so they're not handing out solutions they're saying we're going to help you solve your own problem and they've helped something like 30 million people access mm. clean water um with these small small loans and because they're loans it helps water.org keep going from what i can understand i didn't get too much into it they don't go in depth on every organization in the documentary the documentary is more of a global documentary but it gives you all the information you need to go dig later um so that was really cool i'm looking into water.org and i've heard about it before because i've i've heard matt damon speak about it on several occasions um but then 501c3 i think i'm pronouncing that right this is the one with um, Drew Fitzgerald and Jaden Smith. They had the water box project. And I thought this was also really cool because it wasn't dealing with which, which is what a lot of people think of when they think of water crisis, which is like, you know, third world countries, poverty, overcrowding, yeah. like India, China, all that kind of stuff. This was uh, designed in response to the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, in the U.S. Uh, if you remember in 2014, mm. the water in the Civic uh, Center were, was contaminated by lead. 
and so still contaminated. Yeah. So, uh, in the process of trying to get bottled water and packaged water in and out of this community, which is a huge logistics problem, uh, the water box project was designed. And th what they do is that they test the local community water, find out what that particular problem is, and then they engineer the filter that goes in the water box specifically for that community. And then that community is responsible for testing the water, maintaining the water box, uh, and they also find out like the best place for it. Like where's the central location that's easy for everybody to get to. Um, it was, uh, I think it was in conjunction with one of the Baptist church in the Flint, Michigan area. Um, I have the website open here. It was the first Trinity missionary Baptist church is where they developed, uh, the alternative way to get water out to the community. And so both of these situations off the top are, community-based community outreach programs so it's not here let a bunch of like fancy movie stars you know fix the problem for you it's about long-term sustainable changes which i think is fantastic because it also educates community it means that they're not if something happens where water.org goes away um the tools are still within the community the knowledge is still there right right like it's not left uh, and i think that's super super cool and important and um they didn't spend as much time on the water box as I wanted to. Um, so I've got more kind of interesting things to look into on that. The biggest point of frustration for me was something like the Hydroloop, which is the um, company from the Netherlands. Now, it's a cool idea. It's a residential gray water uh, system that recycles things like bath water, shower water, washing machine, wastewater, filters and purifies that so that you can reuse it within your house for flushing the toilet, washing machine, gardens, and swimming pools. So you can't drink it, but when you think about how much water you use in the course of a day, how much are you actually drinking, right? right. I probably right. flush the toilet almost as much as I drink, right? In terms of how much water is used to flush a toilet. Uh, and, yeah. and then I wash my hands, you know, after I use the bathroom, of course I do. And mm -hmm. it made me think of one of the Airbnbs that I stayed at when I was in Utah in 2017. And uh, because of the the shed nature and the way that he wanted to have um, the, the garage kind of set up uh, and separate from the house, running plumbing was not always the easiest thing. Obviously, there was a sewer line uh, per standards, but what he did for the sink for washing your hands in the toilet is that there was uh not sorry i said that funny washing your hands at the toilet not in it um when you flush the toilet when the tank was refilled the water didn't go directly into the tank behind the toilet the water came out of a faucet into a bowl on top of the toilet tank and it would run for as long as the tank was filling which was plenty of time to wash your hands you just had to turn around like you just had to stand up, turn around. And then as yeah. you're flushing the toilet, there was a sign that says, don't worry, it's clean water. The tank is being filled by clean water. You're just washing your hands with it. So it's not the water that you just flushed. It's clean water. But you're basically using the waste water from your hand washing in the next toilet flush, which makes sense. Ah. Rather than going to the sink using yet more water to, to wash your hands, right? So it's little right. things like that. Um, that you th that that's cool. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. So and we've got things like that in in Halifax actually. The there's a gray water system 
on top of the new Halifax Market Building, downtown Halifax. And the water runoff from the the roof is used for washing your hands, flushing the toilets in the in the building, um, stuff like that. So it reduces the amount of water being brought in from the city to do things like that. Because a lot of, I think it was something like 95% of the water that we use is, uh, ends up being thrown away in terms of yeah. how much water is used. And then they go into things like textile production, you know, dyeing clothing and textiles in India and how much water is wasted and thrown away or disposed of in unsightly manners uh, and contaminating rivers and stuff with dyes and bleaches and things like that. And it was, I don't remember all the details, but there was essentially one of the companies is now instead of 95% of their water being wasted, 95% of their water is being recycled. So they basically started shipping their water to a, f a filtration company and then shipping it back. So the, the same water that's dyeing clothes today, after it's been filtered and brought back, it's being used to dye clothes tomorrow, not in the same 24 hours, but like that's essentially the idea is that there's enough technology now that people are recycling these things. Um, the Hydroloop is really cool because it's it's smaller than a water heater. Like it's that kind of a device that you can go and put in your house and save something like 3000 liters a year. Um, not something that really affects you and I in apartment buildings, but it's something that I thought was interesting for people that are homeowning or building homes. Unfortunately, when I went to go look at Hydroloop's website and then I started to do some local research for like water recycling equipment in Nova Scotia, could not find a price anywhere, which means that they're, really? yeah, well, they're probably prohibitively expensive and they more than likely have to come out, assess the house, assess the hookups and then give you a quote. And I would imagine that the quote is just a lot, no matter what, because you're dealing with people coming out to install it. You're dealing with a very like newish kind of technology. The only time I saw numbers generated was on someone that was writing kind of like a broad article about recycled water tech. And the ranges were $1,000 to $20,000, which doesn't help anybody in terms of trying to narrow this down. Um, so it could be affordable. Uh, I don't know what a new water heater costs, but if it was even twice what a new water heater would cost, like that would be something that I would look at if I owned a home. Um, right. But if it's cost prohibitive or if there are local building restrictions, like there's a bunch of different stuff, you know, in terms of building codes that I'd imagine get really finicky. But the way that it was presented in the documentary in a way that a lot of these solutions were presented is that this is all technology that exists and it's just not the norm for some reason like these filters are all very capable and they're not terribly expensive but it's landlords it's tenants not knowing yeah. it's it's yeah. um it's built like say for example like the because i was thinking like well what can i do like if i don't live in a house where i can say all right i'm going to take control of my own life i'm going to install a gray water system depending on how expensive it is and the way that it that they equate it to uh, in some of these articles that I found were like solar panels. They didn't really start to be installed on so many homes until the cost of the panel became feasible where it offset the money that you were saving. Like when it becomes financially viable and sensible to switch to more solar power, that's when people do it. 
right. it's harder to convince people to do it ahead of that because it's too expensive. The entry point is just not there. And that's what um, the argument that water.org makes is that, yeah, like you can't expect poverty, like impoverished countries and impoverished communities to have one, the education, two, the the money to get these systems in place. But if you right. but and they can't apply for loans because that system is broken and they're just right. they don't get looked at. When all they need is a loan to get things off the ground. And once they're yeah. off the ground, then it frees up all kinds of opportunities. And so that's what water.org does is that it, it focuses on the financial bottlenecks that these communities face uh and i was feeling the same sort of bottleneck like as a as a tenant in a building i can't put any pressure on the landlord you know to install a twenty thousand dollar system you know i'm using a big number for dramatic purposes you know in yes. in in the building without expecting my like with in our you know region with no rent control rent could go up by 200 bucks you know now i don't want my rent to go up by 200 dollars forever because I don't know exactly what's going on with with the um, with the water control system, but what I was thinking is that like I've got questions about building regulations, and so the next time it comes around for me to vote in a municipal election or a provincial election or even a federal election, I'm going to be digging in to see what pressure can be put on regulations to say like when new buildings get built it won't be this year but like in five years you know depending on when that election is when new buildings get built can we make it so that they have to have recycling systems that's just a, a rule and if you can start to get legislation in place then that way when people do move into an apartment building one of the things that you know people that are renting those apartments could sell is say like oh by the way this is a gray water building like so 90% or 70% or whatever the stat is of your wastewater from shower, washing machine, dishwasher sort of thing are being, it's being reused. Sewage still right. goes to sewage treatment plants. That can't be, that's not gray water. But, but if you could like, that would be a huge selling point to me. And I think a lot of other people. Yeah. If you could live in a place like that. So I feel like I've been ranting. Yeah. But like, have you, have you heard Especially of this? Especially if it was already like, I have, well, I, I've heard of something kind of similar like i'm sure we've talked about in the show before like earth ships yes um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. that kind of do the whole gray water system but i i didn't realize that they were i thought you had to like i thought that was only a, like possible in very very certain circumstances or environments or communities mm -hmm. um so to, to find out that it it can be implemented with normal everyday amenities and comforts while still you know helping to save the planet i think that's great and especially if it doesn't cost that much to do if you need to take out a small loan to like have that done i think that's that's the best i don't understand why we're all not doing that exactly and really it comes down to so much of the population especially in say north america living right. in apartment buildings living in right dense downtown areas where the dependency is on old difficult to maintain systems right like yeah. it's just you're just you're well no thing if you were on your own well you'd have the advantage because you would just have to like if you're in a house with a well you would just have to look into the costs of uh, a water recycling system and figure out if you can afford it you know like if it's feasible right. then it's like you can continue to pay the same hydro bill because this is the thing that you know 
heat and hot water for me is included in my rent. And I don't have a water right. bill. Like if I turn on the tap for cold water, there's nothing. You know, whereas uh, if I had a house in the city, there'd be a hydro bill. So, right. uh, you know, like if you have that kind of control, then you just look at what you're paying in hydro. Look at what you'd be investing in in the um, in the water recycling system and see if that balances out. It's the same way that people look at solar panels or alternative energy for their houses. Like I'm going to invest... I don't know, I'm going to throw it a number, $10,000 in these solar panels, but I currently pay, say, you know, as a household, $100 a month in, in um, electrical fees, like for my power company. Mm -hmm. And after, yeah. and if in the process of, you know, five years, you've paid off the solar panels, but then on the outside of that, your power bill is now $50 a month, then that's worth it in the long run once you kind of like work out all the finances, you'd have to do the math on it, but yeah. it's the same yeah, sort of situation. Yeah, it wouldn't be something you'd figure out right away. No, but it's, but in the same sort of thing, like I did look into to see if there were affordable solar panels um, for me to um, put on my balcony to then run a wire inside to charge phones, charge devices. Mm. Like how much of the power that I use is recharging mobile tablets and phones, like a lot, you know, whereas... Yeah. I mean, like, sure, the computers are on all day long and I, I, there wouldn't be enough energy to power those. But like there's a good chunk of things in the house, like recharging speakers, recharging rechargeable batteries, like all of that kind of stuff. I could just hook up to a solar panel if they were financially viable. And some of them are, some of them aren't. Uh, it, it runs into the point of like you have more control if you own the house and you can then put it where you want it. Whereas I would have to find a temporary way to attach it to a balcony or put it up in a window or something like that. Exactly. And, and then you run the problem of like, well, how do I get the wires inside? Like there's a bunch of different things that come in there. So you you do run into these bottlenecks, but there's not a lot you can do in an apartment. And I find it very, very frustrating that tenants like you and I don't have a way to put pressure on landlords to yeah. have these systems or install or even look into alternative methods of stuff. Like I just, I don't, right. I don't have a way to do it, you know? I, I don't watch a lot of documentaries, but every time I watch a documentary, I'm just like, damn, that's a really good documentary. I should watch more. And it happens every single time. And I, so I, that's, I'm going to put that on my radar. Yeah, I would 100% recommend it. And well, I'll have links to um, water.org, uh, 501c3 and Hydroloop in, uh, in the show notes for people to go and kind of like look up their own options and, and, and look for things and see what might be available in their community. And I think that's the key point is that it's, it's not about how to, the, the focus of the documentary and the focus of these resources is not how to fix the world's water crisis. It's how to fix the water crisis in your backyard. And it's a trickle down right. effect. Like if everybody does right. that, then it'll just start to fix itself. Like, and there's stats that they obviously tell, tell you in the documentary, but look, if everybody just saves like this much, this is how much it will affect the actual you know, world at large, which I think was really cool. So, but that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of it for me for what I've been watching. Cause it was kind of an intense, <laughs> an intense week. No, no, it's good. Some good stuff. What's been on your uh, big screen this week? So I kind of accidentally fell into this show called glow. Um, and I, apparently it's, it's a real story based, um, on the gorgeous ladies of wrestling network from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of like, I guess it predates WWE or it's like, it was, it was like the first women led wrestling show or network. 
Um, because at this point, I guess, like, women weren't involved in WWE. Anyway, it was, like, it was it was on for a very brief amount of time. Um, but the, the, the show itself is, like, a drama. It doesn't say based on true events, but but Colin said he, he watched a, a documentary about them like like later in life and they were talking about it and I guess the show is kind of inspired by it. It's got amazing design. I, I just love the 80s. I don't know what it is. I love the music of the 80s. I love like the 80s, 80s fashion, uh, hair styles. It, and it, it is so campy and so outrageously 80s in a way that I, I really, really enjoy. Um, and it, it kind of, it's really interesting to see how, you know, to see these, these, it's like this group of misfit women who kind of come together and, and make this, this, this show, this weird, you know, wrestling show. And it somehow gets traction and they become, there's a lot of fans that become really interested in it. And, um, you know, it's, it's meant to be like a fun, like they've basically figured out that it was like a soap opera. Um, like the, the, the narratives and the storylines that happen in like wrestling shows like WWE is essentially like a really overdramatic macho soap opera. Um, and it, it plays into how much of a, a, of a performance it is, not a, you know, um, you know, it's not real wrestling. It's, it's purely for the campiness of it. Um, and it doesn't shy away from that at all. So the costumes are just super outrageous and, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if I can quite quantify like what I what I like about it I think it's nice to see um you know like women-led shows where it it shows how capable women are um especially in the time like the 80s like there's one character in particular she's you know dating this big macho business guy and he she's she's just kind of there to look pretty for for you know dinners and stuff and they don't think that she understands anything that they're talking about about business but then she kind of comes in and snakes away like a a deal like a purchase deal um with another you know colleague um but it's like some of the the characters are all very very rich and complicated um i don't think we've learned a lot about all of them yet which is unfortunate because i just found out last night that apparently the show has been canceled it was it's on three out of four seasons and the last season was canceled with apparently no no sign of it coming back at all and it was canceled due to covid um so it was like three weeks it was like two or three weeks into filming before they shut it down they're just like no we're just going to cancel it we're not even going to bother keeping it going which i find really stupid because you've already sunk this much amount this money into it to do it so I don't understand why they're not just finishing the last season because they know it's going to be the last one so unfortunately unfortunately the third season ends on a cliffhanger mm. um so I guess watch it at your own discretion you don't really know what the outcome is but um there are a lot of storylines that are still like still have yet to be completed um there's you know some characters struggling with sexuality and like some of them are like open about the fact that they're gay and other words are, are very, very internally homophobic and trying to navigate that. And, um, you know, it deals with racism and poverty in really fascinating ways. And it, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's definitely a drama. I wouldn't say it's like groundbreaking television by any stretch of the imagination, but I find it very compelling. I think just because of how interesting it looks. And it also is just, I've never really been one for wrestling myself. Like, 
you know, I kind of over the last like five years was introduced to WWE. It's 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 fun it's fun to make fun of. It's fun to watch with a group to make fun of. I don't think I would ever be like I'm a fan of wrestling. It's more just this is just a fun good time and it's be like this these people are are very over the top. They're very very terrible actors, but I don't know. The uh the I don't even know how to quantify it. The show's really good. I would I would highly suggest it. Uh just don't, you know, expect to figure out how it ends, I guess. That's weird. Did you say it was a Netflix original? I don't know if it's a Netflix original, but it's on Netflix. On so Netflix, the, la- right. the last three seasons, or the, the three three of the four seasons are on Netflix, and they started shooting the fourth and final season uh, this year, but they had to shut it down because of COVID, and I guess they were just like, it's canceled. Because hmm. the reason I ask is because Netflix just increased their um, prices across the board, uh, certainly in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, just not by a lot. It's like a dollar a month, but... Um, the excuse that they gave uh, in the uh, newsletter, which, I mean, take it or leave it, is that they want to invest in more high-quality content. Uh, usually you would think that competition from other streaming services would uh, entice companies to lower the costs to be more competitive. But uh, in listening to a story about this on uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts, The Daily Tech News Show, um, they were saying that you know it might be uh, a reverse strategy of like, well, let's just see how many people stay and pay the extra dollar, and then we can invest that in better content so that there's less of a, well, yeah, there's a bunch of this other stuff and a few of these Netflix shows that really go gangbusters. Instead, people are hopefully going to go to Netflix Netflix for the hits. Um, I have also seen uh, one of my favorite shows, uh, Longmire, that was on A&E, get canceled and then get picked up mm. and finished by Netflix. They finished the yeah. last season. Uh, and in a, in a much better way in that in traditional television, like when you're a Wyoming sheriff trying to solve murders, some bad stuff is going to happen. Chances are you're going to drop, you know, shit time to time. You're, you're going to swear or, you know, rougher things are going to happen than when would be allowed to be shown on television. And so the Netflix yeah. final season, well, it didn't go over the top. It wasn't like a gore fest. It did get a little bit grittier. And I find that when bad stuff happened, the characters in this, you know, kind of like not, not, well, I guess it would be rural, small town. They, they acted accordingly and used language that would make more sense. And it, to me, it felt more real. And so I really enjoyed right. the last season. Um, they also didn't have to break for commercials. Like they did. The, so the structure, right. uh, the structures of the episode, while were very similar in length to broadcast TV, were not exact, uh, you know, and so I felt that the story would benefit, you know, from that. So hopefully, cross your fingers, maybe Glow will get, you know, its wrap up on, on Netflix. I hope so, because it was very good. And there's so many, like, storylines that need to be completed. Like, there was one that was introduced at the uh, midway through season two, I believe, two or three, that has just never been addressed again. It was talked about one time and like, the ending of an episode and never discussed ever again. Um, there's... Uh, a weird relationship. Now, the, some of the relationships with some characters, I'm just like, eh, this is really weird. Um, and I don't know if it's just because all all the men have, have mustaches. I don't know what it is. They all just look really awkward, and I don't understand why anyone would want to date them, but they made, I just don't like mustaches. And they all just happen to have mustaches. I don't know. It's um, That seems like a really weird generalization to make, but there's part of my brain that's just like, this is a really weird relationship, and I don't like it. Um, there's one... Uh, um older guy he's like the director and um the the like the main one of the main characters of the show her name's um ruth she's like 
29 she's like 30 or something she's like in her early 30s and she's you know still she's a struggling actress like her goal is just is to be an actress and she hasn't been doing very hot at it so she got in for like a last minute uh audition for this weird wrestling show that's directed by this this you know kind of washed out director named sam and they end like he ends up falling in love with her and then she randomly falls in love with him but it doesn't make any sense like it doesn't there's there's no chemistry at all so i don't understand why it happened in the first place but anyway it sounds like it has a cult following and hopefully it's large enough that um though that kind of thing might might make it to a uh, yeah a netflix production um the production companies are tilted productions perhaps a tron and fan dancer the original distributor of the show is netflix so while it's a netflix originally distributed show netflix is not the producer of the show right uh, i hope they pick it up though. yeah well it's if netflix is the uh original network then they would have a decent relationship with the production company so perhaps there's there's hope there i don't know enough i've heard about it before i've never actually watched an episode but i've definitely heard it brought up on other podcasts that i listen to about mm-hmm. streaming media and fun shows and it i don't i don't think it's been brought up on the Siddle cafe before but it might have um I, i'm not sure who would have brought it up but it, like it's it's ringing a bell enough that i've certainly heard, yeah heard of I, it. I like it I like it. I mean, like, there's there's definitely some things wrong with it. it again, it just deals with the racism thing, and it's like you know, in the eighties, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you know, having, you know, making fun of or like stereotyping people based on race was like fine, but it kind of deals with like there is an aftermath of like how one character is struggling with this. Like, they all end up switching characters at one point, and one girl who's Asian is mad at a friend who like who took over her character and kind of like overdid the whole like like stereotypical asian voice and everything Mm -hmm. and you know it kind of dealt with the fallout of you know why that was a bad thing um so it is addressing some things which i appreciate but nice it's um you know it's still it's still very much based in the 80s so there's still some like you know bad takes i think but that's also a product of time Mm -hmm. um but it's also trying to address it in a way that's positive as well like you know you know women trying to take empowerment or trying to trying to take ownership of certain things which i which i appreciate so i I can't believe that it's taken me this long to even remember um that i watched this um because in my notes for uh my next comment which is the number of things that i'm now subscribed to for streaming services uh, I realized that one of those things I have to list is Disney Plus. And oh, by the way, watch the season opener of The Mandalorian, <laughs> which we don't have time to talk about this week, uh, but we'll have to come back and revisit probably next week. Yeah. Because uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And if you're not watching it, boy, are you missing out. Uh, really, really fun, fun opener, for especially for people that are Western fans. Just I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really good. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is because I have resubbed to Crave and HBO Max which uh, this is the only way that I can get HBO in Canada, which is to go to the base level Crave, which is $9.99 a month, and then add $9.99 on top of that for HBO Max, which includes movies, but also the HBO original shows, which is mostly why I'm interested in it. Uh, I'm doing that because I'm catching up on Discovery Season 3 for Star Trek. Uh, We'll say nothing now, just letting everyone know that (laughs) uh, Alistair McFly and my friend James are coming on the show later on this month, uh, same week as American Thanksgiving, so November 25th. Uh, This is James' first experience with Discovery. He's caught up on all the seasons. 
uh, and obviously Alistair and I have been watching Discovery since it came out, but we're just now like Alistair has been watching day and date um, season three. And now I've caught up on season three and will be uh, by the time we record. So I wanted to let everybody know, uh, especially if you're Canadian, that you can get Discovery on Crave for $10 uh, for the month. And I would argue that if if for nothing else other than Discovery, the $10 for Crave is worth it now that there are two plus seasons of Discovery. It's a good show. Uh, and if you enjoy yeah. Star Trek and you want to catch up and, and join in the conversation with us on uh, on November 25th uh, with some questions, emails, uh, thecidilcafe at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about Discovery. We will um, be happy to hear it because it's going to be a really fun conversation, I think. Uh, the other thing that I have to check out is Lower Decks. I haven't watched that yet. Um, so that's coming. But uh, my subscription bill now is rivaling what I was paying for cable uh, years and years yeah. and years and years ago. Now that's combined with my internet bill. My internet bill, I pay over $100 a month for 100 megabits symmetrical. So I not know not everyone has that access. Uh, also, it's expensive in Canada. Yes, we know. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but now with $20 going to Crave... 17 16 dollars going to netflix i think uh i've got ten dollars going to prime video and another ten dollars going to disney plus like that adds up something fierce i'm now in the like mm -hmm. 160 170 dollars range for my internet slash streaming services combined so i'm looking at dropping one of those because i'm about to add 40 dollars a month to that for xbox all access which includes basically xbox game passes like netflix for games so I think I might actually drop Netflix for the time being. Uh, I should mention that Crave and HBO, they're staying for two months and then they're going away. I'm going to keep them over Christmas um, long enough to figure out when the... Dis like, I'll probably keep them long enough to watch the end of Discovery and then that's it. Right. Uh, in the right. two months uh, over Christmas vacation in the last little bit, I know that I will find some things on HBO to watch. I'm going to catch up on Westworld. Uh, there's a new show called Raised by Wolves I want to watch. Uh, stuff like that that will round out the value of having HBO on there for two months. Uh, and if I have to remain cra uh, sub to Crave for another month in the new year, then that's fine. Um, but uh, I don't know I'm going to be keeping Disney Plus beyond The Mandalorian because all of their other original content has been delayed until at least 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon Prime, I keep for the shipping. So that will just stay, even though I don't watch a lot of stuff on it. I like what I watch. The problem is that a lot of what's there is pretty dark and I'm not into it right now, but it'll always be there. Yeah. Um, but I am in the process of getting a bunch of things, you know, for the house, uh, for the apartment rather, um, through Amazon prime. So the fact that the, the, the Amazon prime stays because the shipping just outweighs the, the amount of time that I spend watching prime video, prime video is a nice perk when I'm bored, but um, really, I just I, the ten dollars a month is worth it for the shipping, because uh, I've I've done shipping. I know what it costs to ship stuff when you don't have Prime, and it's rough right. <laughs> in this part of the country. Yeah. So I'd rather not. But uh, I don't know. But I spend a lot of time on Netflix looking for something and don't really find much. And then when I find something, I don't often stick to it. So I I don't know. Yeah, I've been finding that too lately. I mean, I'm I have the added benefit that like you know we have a family pro subscription for Netflix. So my dad pays for that, which sounds spoiled, but he's, he hasn't gotten rid of it. And, um, the only thing I really pay for is Disney plus, 
but I, I usually just end up watching YouTube, honestly. Yeah. And I, so. and I find too that a lot of my like, you know, breakfast, I'll watch like, you know, Minecraft videos on YouTube or some other kind of content. Yeah. Uh, so I've got yeah. other, I've got other avenues as well. Disney plus, again, I find that the Mandalorian is worth the $10. Um, there are mm-hmm. some, do- speaking of those, uh, you know, that new TV, those Disney documentaries from National Geographic, I will definitely be watching those before I cancel, yeah. like st- stuff like that. Yeah. Like there are things I will go through and check out. Uh, before before I, I unsub. But something I did find very uh, easy to do with both Crave and Disney Plus, can't speak to Netflix. I imagine it's probably just as easy, but canceling um, Disney Plus and Crave was very simple. Crave doesn't even, it doesn't delete anything. It just stops charging you. So you can still go and browse Crave. It just says, by the way, in order to watch anything here, you have to resub. So it's nice that you can revisit Crave without subbing and just look to see what you're missing, which makes sense. Um, and so, uh, I canceled Crave way back when, I think when Game of Thrones ended and I just haven't been back. No, sorry. It would have been the last time that Discovery, the the last season of Discovery is when I canceled Crave. And so I've just been waiting to come back. Um, Mm. and so it's easy to pick up and put down. And I like that. I like that. I can just sub for two months, cancel it and be done. And then whenever the next, like Picard has been delayed until 2021. So when that picks up again, I'll probably resub to Crave and watch that. And, yeah. and those are things that are available on the base. But I wanted to let everybody know that, you know, Trek is, is coming back to conversations here at the Zizzle Cafe. And so you can look forward to more of that later on in the month. That brings us into the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. Listen, do you hear the ads? Neither do we, uh, because it's uh, your fault. <laughs> we don't need them because uh, you folks are kind enough to support the show. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. That gets you access to the member-only Discord server, as well as access to any bonus episodes that we do over the course of the pandemic. We've allowed that to happen at all the tiers. Um, we're down a patron. We're down to 21. We were at 22 a month ago. And so I'd like to try to add one more patron. Uh, each month. So if you're thinking about supporting independent podcasting and keeping us on the air, then check out patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe, become a member and know that you are helping us make the podcast each and every week. Uh, it's, I really can't thank everyone enough. We mentioned, you know, supporters of Twitch communities and, and um, donations and stuff earlier for Megan and I, when we stream, uh, it's just as important to me, the people that support us on Patreon. Uh, now it is the, the beginning of the month. And so the Patreon processing is going through and it's basically payday uh, at the Citadel Cafe. And it does things like keep the website going, allow me the time to edit the podcast. Like it's all these kind of things. And it's because of you kind folks that we get to continue to do that. So uh, thanks very much. And uh, if you're interested, it's less than a latte a month. It's a dollar a show or $4 a month to become a member. So check it out, patreon.com slash The Citadel Cafe. And boy, oh boy, do I have a fun pick for you this week. <clears throat> Disney has uh, unveiled a new robot animatronic technology that is meant Ooh. to have a more realistic and interactive robot gaze. Uh, the headline okay. from The Verge is Disney's new skinless robot can blink in a human way because why not? Uh, and the idea here is to try and combat the uncanny valley that happens when you're interacting with a animatronic character in say like a Disney ride where everybody kind of goes, oh yeah, okay. It's like basically the stiff robotic thing. Uh, but with AI these days and some of the more uh, are the finer motor controls that they have in these animatronic setups. Uh, they are trying to use eye tracking, uh, which is a relatively new technology as far as like consumers are concerned, uh, to increase the engagement of the artificial robot. 
in that they will look at you and hold eye contact because they know where your eyes are because the robot's tracking your eyes, but also engage in um, human behavior like not looking at you, looking away for a beat while they think or talk about something. I say think with in quotation marks because uh, it's mm -hmm. acting, right? Um, yeah. But then also when you look at someone in the eyes, you don't stay still. Your eyes subtly will dart back and forth. And that yeah. movement is called uh, cicada, not to be confused with cicada, the bug, but uh, cicada, S-A-C-C-A-D-A -C -C -A -A is the, the movement name. And um, previously that was really hard to do. And so by having this robot do that, it is uncanny, pardon the pun, Yeah. how lifelike it becomes when these little movements are added. It's something that uh, as an animator, uh, we, you know, we were talking about way back even in the early aughts when I was animating stuff, adding that like character staring off into space, focal distance changing in the eyes gives that thought process to a, what is ultimately just a drawing. And this robot in the video has no skin. It's basically like a skull with teeth and eyelids. And so it looks really freaky, but it's just interesting and engaging how lifelike it appears because of these subtle eye movements and how if the if the robot is looking down and a person walks up to it it looks with its eyes first and then turns its head mm. like it's oh. like it's these layers of mm. movement that really that really get you I'll, we'll have a link to the video in the in the show notes uh it is i love the way <laughs> disney's new skinless robot can blink like a human because why not <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly exactly so there's a lot more information underneath it like in the articles there's links to other things about like how robots are working these days and eye tracking and stuff but mm -hmm. it's just it is it's awesome and also creepy at the same time but like i kind of would love to have something like this that would animate to whatever voice assistant you're using in your house like imagine if this is just like a bust like you used to see those busts of beethoven on like pianos and stuff it would be amazing to walk into your house and just like you know insert activation word here turn on the lights what's the weather like today and have this thing kind of like look at you like oh hi there and just kind of explain uh -uh. no no that's like that well, like, i'm looking at it right now and i'm just like this is horrific well also because okay. there's no skin on it well, yes, so but, you're just seeing teeth and like yeah. eyes with like moving gyros and everything but what if it was this, a teddy bear is... what if it was a cat what if it was like a cat mm. and the cat had that kind of like uh, what's the name of the talking cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Like that that kind of a Salem, Salem like having a little black cat uh, on your on yeah. your coffee table that would kind of turn and like give you the weather would be <laughs> I think okay, it would be kind listen, of fun. <laughs> I played I played Detroit Become Human. Right. This doesn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no This I doesn't get end that. well. I get that. Anyway, I just I thought it was really interesting and it's one of those things where you see it in like Disney tech and like theme parks first. But then eventually it's going to roll down into, you know, consumer electronics and, and, and things like that. I mean, like, I yeah. I can't say I want a zombie bust on my coffee table. But if I had a C-3PO in the corner <laughs> that would give me the weather, I would probably have that. Like, that's... Yeah. I would want one, I would want one of those. It's... Fa I'm watching it right now. It's fascinating. It's really unnerving. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's really realistic eye movements. And subtle head movements as well, like fluttering eyelids and like, now I think the thing that's free, if it were just the eyes, if I could just like block out the teeth, because all you see is like this like 
these pair of dentures with a bunch of yeah. technology around it. And that's really unnerving looking. But if you're like the, the way the eyes move is incredible. Wow. Yeah. Everyone should take a look at that. It's scary. Maybe not for kids. I think <laughs> as a kid, I would be really afraid of this. Yeah. Really I'm little a little kids unnerved that, yeah, right now. It, it is. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, um, freaky in, in that way. Um, I, I yeah, think it, that looks, I, that's cool though. I think it would be good of them if they want this to kind of like catch on or showcase it more to do it with a robot that you can actually, I mean, this was showcasing the technology underneath. So that's why it doesn't mm -hmm. have anything on it. But if you put right. like a silicone puppet, like in like any kind of like special effects mastery over top of this, it's going to look really cool. Or if you put like, I don't know, I know that a lot of their animatronics right now for, um, you know, for for new theme parks and stuff if you put like i don't know elsa on top of it or like you know actually put like like a disney character right over it i think that would be really interesting and that would maybe make it look a little bit softer because it's still in your brain it's like this is evidently not real because it's um you know it's stylized but and it's the kind of thing like right now it's of all human propor proportions looks like a human male but right, if it yeah. was not that, but what if it was like a two foot tall animatronic Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast and yeah. its eyes, while animatronic, would be cartoony, like it wouldn't be realistic, yes. but it would be neat if it was that engaging and there would be just that little bit of, uh, I don't know what it would be, like the suspension of disbelief would be just a little bit more when you're engaging with an animatronic like that. Because I remember going to Disney World mm -hmm. when I was 10. And even like back then, even like even as, as young as I was, even the animatronics like, Whoa, wow, that is a robot. Yeah, it's 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 very unnerving looking. Yeah. But like the, the I've seen videos of like people like some people will just record through the parks um, and like, you know, go through rides and stuff. And there's a couple that I've seen that are amazing. Like, um, someone, um, went through the new Pandora area for, um, James Cameron's avatar. Right. And there's, it's like, it's like a boat ride. So you're basically going through, you know, you know, it's basically parts of the Caribbean, just Pandora. Um, but there's one like full animatronic of like a Navi like moving and their their movement is so fluid and so um, natural. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's how how smooth everyone moves. And I've seen um, videos of animatronics in like um, one of the frozen rides and like there's actual like animatronics of Elsa and she's you know doing like a motion where she's like you know making making magic happen but like the fluidness of her arm is like it looks like a person in a costume doing it nice it's amazing it's so it's so cool and so this is just kind of taking what they've already you know done and I think expanding it to make it more realistic if I I still have I'm still, my brain is kind of like, mm, I don't know. Any single story we've ever had about AI has not ended well. Or like, you know, having like humanoid looking robots. It's just always ended in a, in a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I'm still interested in seeing how that, how that develops at the same time. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Megan and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. 
Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thesiddlecafe at gmail.com or find us by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Word of mouth is by far the easiest way to support the show, however. It's free. Just tell a friend about The Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. You can also leave a rating on the Apple Podcast app or your podcast platform of choice. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything that I'm doing online at joelduggan.com. That includes links to my Spawn Chunks podcast, which is all about Minecraft. Brand new snapshot for the Caves and Cliffs update dropped yesterday. So we'll be talking about that this coming Monday. And you can also follow me on social media at Joel Duggan and twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I'm playing Minecraft and Borderlands 3 right now. But I'm going to be expanding that roster coming into the holidays. So check it out. Megan, where can people find you online? People can find me online and Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch at Townsend. You've been listening to The Sizzle Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two. 